0: Welcome to the Grow Your Practice Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. I want to introduce our guest today. Uh, Matt Slimming is the CEO and founder of Star Physical Therapy in uh, Northern Shore, I believe, Louisiana. Have that right.
1: in, in the New Orleans area, um, yeah, we have clinics on the North Shore end in, in New Orleans proper.
0: Great. And you have eight locations, Matt? Yes. Yes. Great. So I, I'll ask a little bit uh, about your history here in a second, but you're also a husband, uh, a father of three that we just talked about. You have two in college and about to have a third one in college at the same time. Yes. Yes. That's, that sounds fun. and yeah. uh, <laughs> And you're also the CEO and founder of Star Management. Um, as well, where you help uh, physical therapists with uh, centralized management services. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what, what did I miss there in the intro? Anything that you want to fill in uh, for our listeners? No, you did, a, you did a great
1: job, Chad. I, I wanted to, before we get started, I wanted to thank you, obviously, for having me on. I really appreciate that. Um, it's nice to chat to you, and it's great to see your face again. Um, but I wanted to also thank you for the work you've done in our, in the PT industry, um, I don't know if people share with you, this with you often enough, but you've been really the leading, I think, crusader for helping PTs become businessmen and businesswomen and serve their communities locally in a really in a fashion of excellence and and allowing them to be able to focus more on their business of PT. And I know not, you didn't ask for this, but I just wanted to share with you that a lot of us out there uh really appreciate that what you've done and uh we kind of a lot of us feel like we're standing on your shoulders man you know I feel like you you, you you you've taken a lot of blows for us and um allowed us to start on a much higher level than we were so thank you
0: yeah, you're you're very welcome um I appreciate that matt um couple places I could go that my gut instinct is just to ignore it. Like, <laughs> <all together. laughs> but uh, that's, I, I guess, uh, human nature. The um, the one thing that I'll say is uh, when I first came into private practice PT, at least the culture that I felt was that we couldn't share, that if the, it, that it was a zero-sum game and that if I was winning, you were losing, or if you were winning, I was losing. And uh, I didn't really like that. Um, and I, I had it in my mind early on that I wanted to Uh, share the the right way to do things or the best practices or whatever um, with other private practice owners. I I think we have a major problem rather than each other in this country. We're, I I just looked this up, but uh, 2019 numbers, we're spending about $12,000 per person in this country on healthcare. Um, And if we look again, where that money is going, it was 72% in 2017. It's now up to 73% and it's growing is going to medications, injections, and surgery, yeah. diagnostic imaging, and less than ten percent is going to all conservative care. Two point six percent is going to PT and OT speech combined. Wow. So I think we have a bigger problem yeah. right now, um, which which is our broken healthcare system. And uh, w- when I keep that in mind, it's you know it's um, it makes work fun. I, I get to talk with private practice owners that are doing the right thing that are really helping people get back to normal and are doing it the right way. And, you know, as physical therapists, we're at the bottom of the totem pole in in terms of uh, reimbursements compared to uh, just about anything else in healthcare or uh, medical practice. So I appreciate the kind words. Um, uh, So I'll hedge my Questions to be very gentle the rest of the way through. <laughs> <laughs> what a smart move that was. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty good. I appreciate it. Um, so can you, because uh, I think you have a fascinating backstory. Um, obviously, you don't have a uh, New Orleans accent. Uh, can you tell everybody You know where you grew up, how you got started in private practice? Just bring us up to that point would be, would be great. Uh,
1: okay. Uh, born and raised in Australia, um, lived in a town called Adelaide which is on the south coast uh, of Australia. It's a great city. It doesn't get the acclaim um, of Sydney and Melbourne, uh, because it's, uh, it's a little bit harder to get to, but it's a beautiful city on the coast with uh, wineries and valleys on the north side of it. Lovely place to grow up. About a million and a half people now, I think. Just um, a lovely place to, to grow up. Very safe, very uh, uh, easy place to grow up. Surfing and all that kind of stuff. Um, Was are into sports like a lot of us PTs were. And so got into PT through that uh, route and went to PT school in Adelaide. Finished PT school in 93. And uh, Adelaide in a part of Australia is a socialized healthcare system. So um, in that environment, PTs didn't, at least don't in Australia, do very well uh, compared to the US uh, financially. That may have changed a little bit, but. Uh, Still, actually, just a side note. Um, I was back there January of twenty, just before COVID. Glad I made it back in time. And uh, I was asking about insurance involvement in physical therapy there because I just I didn't know it, uh, what's been going on. And there really is very little, if any, uh, Medicare-type reimbursement for physical therapy. You get a couple of sessions, maybe. So it's it's a it's a tougher game there. So glad I glad I came here, but came here because there were jobs in the U S for physical therapists at the time. Um, there were jobs in, in Australia too, but they were a bit tougher to come by and they were uh, not as generous in pay. So, uh, got a recruiter and back then, you know, the recruiters were all the rage for us Australians. They would find us these, these locations. And, uh, we, you know, I remember there were places on offer like medicine hat Canada and, uh, from an Australian perspective, that sounds like a great place to be. Canada sounds gorgeous. Then you look up the the climate of Medicine Hat, and if you're used to a warm climate, it's not the place to be. So uh, it was funny. You have to do your own due diligence. And my recruiter um, was lovely, and and I said, look, there's a couple of things I'd like. I'd like to be in a city that um, is is coastal and has some surf. And I've heard that there there are some US cities that were a bit more dangerous than what I'm used to growing up in. So I'd, I'd like somewhere a little bit safer. And I was only gonna be here for six months in my plan, maybe a year, I was gonna to travel to US, uh, get a good grasp of what the country has to offer and then travel through Europe and eventually go home and start a practice perhaps. Um, so my first gig, my recruiter said, look, I've got a couple of options for you. One is in Jacksonville, Florida, and the other is just out of New Orleans, uh, she said, um, "You know, which would you prefer?" And I said, "Well, which is safer and which has the best surf?" And she said, "Well, it looks like on the map, it's coastal New Orleans, and there's a a town in Mississippi called Waveland. So I'm guessing there must be some good waves there. My my advice is is go to New Orleans. So so came to New Orleans first. Didn't go to Jacksonville that. Apparently has fantastic surf, but came to New Orleans. And uh, of course, Waveland is a town in Mississippi that has no waves. I don't quite, I actually tried to research today because I was thinking, Chad's going to ask me. And I can't, I couldn't find any reason why Waveland was called Waveland. But um, yeah, got here and uh, was sad about the lack of surf, but had a great time and, and loved New Orleans. And then within about six months, I think, or a year, met uh, my wife. So yeah. Um, it's been just great since then, it was the right move, and ended up just staying rather than moving on and, and traveling the rest of the country. Uh, it, 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 New Orleans is a hard place to, to leave. It's a pretty special, special spot. Uh, and so having done that, worked for another group for a few years and then decided to open my practice in 2001.
0: Excellent, so been in the game for a while, uh, 20 years or so in, in private practice. Um, wh- when you uh, thought about that, did you always have uh, owning your own practice uh, in the back of your mind? Um, w- was that relevant or was there a, a pivotal event, maybe like having children or, uh, you know, raising a family, something like that? Was there something that pushed you over the edge to uh, pull the trigger to to open your own practice?
1: Yes, I think it was, um, I was working for probably, I think, seven years with a company um, in this area that we, and they were doing pretty well they, they were probably trying to grow a little bit too aggressively and that gave them some challenges they were in Texas and Louisiana and I, I was really enjoying the role I had with that company I was helping them open clinics in Texas and so I was had a bit of a management role um, but they had some struggles I think just because of as I said aggressive growth and um, it led to a work environment that wasn't ideal and um, and so I, I was at a point where I probably had the expertise at that point to do it myself and I thought, well, gee, I don't want to stay here and, um, you know, watch something blow up uh, around me and, and, and maybe, you know, affect my my situation. So I, it was just that. I, was like, I knew I was going to stay. I was going to leave them. So next, the obvious solution was to open my own clinic and didn't have aspirations of having more than one. Just thought this would be a nice uh, way to, to raise a family, as you said, having kids.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I know many of us have that jaded work experience somewhere where e- even if it wasn't going to blow up, as you said, um, there, there's usually something that we think that we can do better. We know that we can do better when we're out on our own. That's great. So uh, the initial goal was maybe one location. Uh, now you have eight yes. uh, that I can see. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. OK. And um, so what if you think about the last 20 years, um, so think about the expectations that you had going into practice, um, and then what you know today, right? What are some of the the two or three key learnings that you've uh, that you've stumbled upon or had to learn uh, as a necessity as you've grown your practice, Matt? Because you've done pretty remarkable, you and your group.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I guess a couple of things that that were key, and I wish I'd known earlier. Um, The first is that I also was, once we opened and things were going well, I was growing, trying to grow fairly quickly. And we opened up, uh, we had three clinics within probably two or three years, probably something like that, three years, um, maybe four years. And we had no systems and we had, um, you know, not great quality control over anything. So it was that situation of, you know, the owner trying to do, trying to do everything and. And juggle all the plates. So that was the first thing: is like, oh gosh, we've got to have systems. Um, and I guess going along with that, we've got to run it like a business, you know, not like a, not like a, a club, you know, where you, you know, anything goes, and we just take care of people and hang the expense. We're just going to be nice to everybody, and it had to be a business. So I think those were the two key things: systems and and and, and be a business. Um, I think had I had I been aware of those earlier and had taken the time to actually get the training that, that I could have used back then, things would have been better. That's
0: great. So um, the, the one thing that stood out to me uh, and in reading through everything that I could find online, and by the way, if you're listening to this or uh, watching it right now, um, Matt, how many times have you been in Impact Magazine? Quite a few, I believe, right? Yeah, probably yeah, four or five.
1: Okay, okay, maybe, I, I don't
0: maybe more. I don't Mentally, I gave you credit for a dozen, but um, I, oh, yeah. I know I, I, when I go through and I get the issue, I, I always scan who wrote the articles. Every time that I see that you authored an article, I go and read that right away. Oh, always enjoy that. Thank so you. Uh, thank you. Um, the one thing that you do frequently, Matt, is uh, you'll, you'll quote uh, you know, uh, Jim Collins or Peter Drucker, or I think I saw John Maxwell in there as well. Uh, you're you're obviously well read is there any it, you, just a second ago you talked about referenced uh building systems and learning um and having to learn how to build systems to grow your practice uh who do you admire who are you reading and who are you still following uh over the last 20 years
1: okay i'm actually a very poor reader uh, Chad, I, I, do you I do audible or something like that no i, I i'm oh. old school i like to read and i read very slowly okay and, and i find with if i read a book quickly i don't i don't glean anything from it you know I'll, or I, i'll think i'll glean something and then two years later i realize gosh i've got nothing out of this so i i have a laborious process of reading and highlighting and then coming back and writing notes on a book so that i can retain the knowledge so it's it's not pleasant. It's, it's a drag and it's, you know, it's very slow. So I'm not that well read. I've just picked up a few pearls over the years, but, um, the e-myth I think is a book that comes to mind and I don't recall the, the author, but it was Michael uh, Gerber. Okay. And thank you. Related largely to to building systems and checklists and things like that. I think was was a, a big part of that. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while.
0: No, that's exactly. Michael Gerber, um, it's where the, I I think he penned the line uh, work on your business or the concept work on your business rather than in it. And the, uh, that initial book, the E-Myth and then his, his sequels for lack of a better term because he applied it. I think he did the E-Myth Revisited and also applied it to healthcare and service providers and everything else. The, the premise there is that you and I were trained as physios or as physical therapists. Um, we're trained clinically. We're not necessarily trained in marketing systems or you talked about quality control or our billing systems or financial management and pro formas or financial projections. We don't have training there. So we have aspirations of creating an impact in an area, whether it's New Orleans, uh, greater New Orleans area, or uh, Texas, central Pennsylvania, wherever that may be, but we don't necessarily know how to do that. And we, we assume that, you know, if we have high quality of care, that everything else will take care of itself. So um, every article that I've ever read by you, 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 you do reference systems quite a bit. Um, is there one, um, if you can think about back through your journey, your private practice journey, is there one system in the beginning because usually we fall into the syndrome of, oh, that it, once I fix this, then I'll make it, right? It, it, <laughs> w- was there one system in the beginning that you put a lot of attention on and really resonated for you in terms of building that out?
1: Gosh, so that one one system that, that was what I thought would fix it all. Um, I think the – I was involved in fitness sales, uh, fitness uh, center health club sales uh, in a – a prior job as part of the pt management thing and one of the great lines that i that stuck with me in that tr- in training with those guys and gonna, uh, i know i can't remember the guy's name It was ed ed Koch, k-o-k-o-c-h said uh, one of his lines was inspect what you expect inspect what you expect and so the idea of you just can't tell someone or train someone in something and wipe your hands and think, ah, good, you've, you've just, there's got to be an ongoing often exhaustive process of making sure that what you told and you expect to get done actually got done. So I think that that's, that was probably pretty key early on.
0: Great. So I'm taking that to mean that, uh, you had metrics in your practice and at some point, if the metrics aren't going exactly as you expect them to go, you had to go in and do an audit. Yep. Right, yep. to look at what was really going on there.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, cool. And so if you're asking a, an early metric, an early an early system that we felt was, was crucial, um, I think early on we looked at um, visits per case. Uh, that was a, a really important one because that seemed to, tie in extremely closely we then we began to measure a lot of other things you know like and, and i know you talk about this but we you know we, made, we obviously we measured the units per visit and nps score and all these kind of things and what we found was that a really high driver and, and determiner of whether you're doing a good job is your units uh, visits per case mm-hmm. and and the idea is that people obviously you know people they, as much as they love us in in our clinics there's a there're plenty of good reasons to stop coming, financial and time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, if you're able to, you know, keep someone coming at closer to as long as they need to to get a hundred percent, the the closer you can get to that number, the 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 better, and it shows that there's that connection, that relationship, that you're providing value, and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So that visits per case was it was a big number for us.
0: That's great uh we very similar here we noticed that um you you shared a a peter drucker quote uh in one of the recent articles you wrote and i don't remember it exactly but it's something about culture beats everything else um it it it
1: seems as culture beats eats strategy for breakfast
0: you got it yeah so i love peter drucker as well um and a big fan there can you talk about um how you apply that to your physical therapy business and uh, star management as well. Just how you think about that, how you apply that, you know, when you're hiring team members, uh, when you're cultivating your team and curating your team and, and you're growing.
1: Yeah. It's a deep subject, obviously. And um, Gary Vander, whatever how however you say that last name. Gary,
0: let's go Gary V.
1: Gary V. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know he he talks a lot about culture in some of his his talks and how it's everything you know it's and and most importantly it is the way that the owner feels about and treats people so um, it's so important for us as owners to put our employees first you know as 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 part of our mission statement it probably needs to be that our team is is their interests are represented in there somewhere because if we're taking care of them it, with all their warts and wrinkles and failings, then things will, will usually go much better. So um, now that's not natural to me. I'm, I'm not that nice a guy. I, uh, I learned a few years ago, you know, when we talk about leadership, um, there are kind of two sides to leadership there's, there's production and health. Right, so we're we're either leaning toward production or we're leaning toward that healthy, create uh, an environment of happiness, making sure our team's good and all that. Traditionally, I without without realizing there was a difference, I've always been more on production. My feeling was, as long as I'm achieving growth for the organization, as long as I'm um, allowing elevation of staff to higher positions, then I'm doing my part. These guys will be grateful. They'll be getting paid more. They're going to be happy. Because things are going well in the organization and everything's going to be rosy. But I learned that people need more than just success in the clinic. They want a connection. They want relationships. So um, that's been a big takeaway for me in my work and also my family life that I need to pause a little bit and spend time with people. So to that end, in, in culture, I've had to work really hard and um, what I've done is in our organization and now for the benefit of, of other groups, we, because I try to do things very analytically, um, we measure culture and then we define uh, the level of culture related to goal in a number of areas. And then we implement a plan to improve culture. So, for example, we'll do a, a questionnaire for all the employees on questions that relate to two things, the core values of an organization, right? So, so how are we doing at living out these core values? And also questions related to other areas of culture that are, that are important. For example, um, you know, how easy is it to prioritize family when you're working at STAR, for example? So we'll get these, these questions answered, both in the areas of how we're living our core values at work and, and some other really important parts of, of, of work culture. We'll analyze that and we'll, we'll get a score for each one. And then we'll have our leaders, we'll share these results with our leaders, and this is done by departments. So we know, for example, in clinic B, um, they're really, they're over 90% in all these areas, but there's a couple of things that are under 90%. You know, it might be that uh, uh, one of the cultures, uh, the core values might be innovation. And they just, that's that's a bit low. So it will share the results with, the, uh, with that clinic, that department, and we'll say, okay, let's talk about this. Which one of these do you want to improve? And we'll take a six-month plan, and we often will just have them do one thing in that department to improve culture, okay? Because you can't tackle culture, at all components at once. We, it, it, it's not something we can fake. It's not something we can really... Create a system around as far as maintaining it and, and improving it. It's really got to come from the heart. So we we'll, we might work on that idea of how do we make family more, uh, how how do we make it easier for uh, family to be a priority for work? And we just take that one thing and 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 take an idea and work with that for six months, and then we'll reassess culture. And I think what we find is, we work on one thing, we find that the other areas of culture improve as well, because there is that awareness. Oh. The owner it cares about this thing you know And these cultural things are always important to employees he cares about these so so the job satisfaction the engagement in other areas goes up as well
0: that's great um i and we're very similar um we put a lot of work into uh the core values and the culture that we're creating and really you know being true to who we are um i, I know one of the uh, two questions follow-up questions i want to ask you matt uh it, you had in another article, um, it was uh, something along the lines of uh, culture and being put, oh, you were talking about bringing interest in, and I think you had a, the, a fictitious therapist named Fred who um, was a conspiracy theorist and was sharing this and offended a patient, but it was really who Fred was, right? right. So it, can you talk about how you juggle uh, letting your team members be who they are authentically, right? And then balancing that with, I'm sure you have a a list of three to five core values that uh, you're living by um, for your team as well. So can you talk a little bit about that, shed some light on how you think about
1: that as a leader? Yeah, great question. Yeah, Fred is is not fictitious. Um, But that's not his real name, correct? That's not his real name. He's (laughs) he's very interesting to talk to. So how do we um, find that balance between being their authentic self and enjoying that and bringing that to work, but yet respecting the core values and and, and keeping culture intact? Um, Coaching, I think, is the answer. And it doesn't require much coaching, okay? It it comes from the leader. So people, as you know, tend to... um, model the behavior or the mindset the values possibly of people that they respect when the leader is respectable which you know which comes from having integrity and caring for others and all those kind of good values then it 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 automatically and oftentimes subconsciously sets the bar for behavior and what's expected so really, when that bar's been set by a leader through through relationship, right, through coaching relationship with the, with the direct report, when that bar's been set and it's not met by the individual because he's spouting conspiracy theories and he's offending somebody, then all the leader should probably have to do is just show verbally that there is a difference between the bar and the behaviour. And, of course, that individual... It, is not aware that there was a difference usually if they were aware and they decided to act out. That's a different problem. But if they're aware once, once they see that difference and you share it with them, it's, it's, it doesn't require much coaching if you've got the right people on the bus to borrow from another guru. Um, if you have the right people on the bus, of course, it makes everything much easier. And that's the first task, right? Uh, Perfect. Um,
0: The other thing that you had mentioned there was core values, and uh, do you have uh, a a list of core values that you're willing to share, or is there a a top two or three? It might only be one um, that you're willing to discuss. But is there something that you look for in core values that you review with your team and really sets that bar for behavior?
1: Yep. So core values are key, and it's hard for your employees to remember them, right? so you, you want to be, well, we, we like to be um, repeating them at every meeting, making sure that we're sharing, the, resharing the mission statement, talking about the core values, defining them, maybe giving them examples. Um, once a year, we, you might have a core values meeting where you say, hey guys, which of these core values can we live better? You know, Just as an informal thing for all the staff to get around and have a vote of what they, we can do to, to push more of that. So uh, core values are crucial. And we have five and uh, in no particular order, um, excellence, innovation, fun. Um, golly, I'm on the spot. Uh, it's, uh, it's always easy when you're in a room with people. <laughs> uh, you're, you're fine. You're, you're, excellence, innovation, um, compassion, um, fun,
0: Anything along with my, my writ, <laughs> perseverance is a common one.
1: No, it's not. Oh, this is, so, this is terrible. I'm going to have my, uh, my SD. You know what, Chad, I, I assume we paused this at this point. Uh,
0: so. I'll, I'll share our three and okay. may, maybe that'll, okay. Shed some um, The three that we have today for, at both breakthrough and uh, Madden and Gilbert, my private practice is, uh, Um, grit is number one uh, around perseverance, um, and, you know, being willing to do what it takes to uh, get to a solution and, uh, w- w- what's within everybody's best interest. Uh, the second one is a beginner's mind that we approach everything with uh, humility and we're always learning, right. And we're willing to be resourceful not it. And the third one is uh, elevate others, being a being a team player. And uh, we at Breakthrough Carl put a lot of work into those, and we have three very similar values um, in the private practice. But th- did you find the fifth?
1: I I did. Funny you should ask about my core values, Jeff. <laughs> very hey, way to go having three, because three is way easier to remember than five. So, uh, invariably in any of our meetings, someone we have a hard time getting the fifth. So smart move. Um, so ours are excellence, compassion, integrity, um, fun. And the fifth is innovation. Great. Okay. So that was as easy as clicking a couple of, buttons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. we we, we all, uh, we all have our moments, Matt. And, uh, yeah, the, the Bright light pressure. Um, All good. So is there a time? uh, I I guess what would be key right now is many owners are in a, uh, in terms of being timely, they're in a role where they're likely hiring. Uh, I think for many owners, the job market is kind of flipped. Uh, 12, 18 months ago, really difficult to hire a PT, Um, maybe not so difficult to hire a PTA, um, it, but now with the, the recent economic uh, downturn and recovery, there, there is definitely some shifting within the job market in terms of uh, how easy it is to hire today versus relative to 18 months ago. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you use uh, your core values and your culture when you're you're hiring for either your leadership team or your leaders are hiring for their respective clinics.
1: Great question. It's funny, actually. we are just seeing now down in New Orleans area that hiring is getting tight again. So, it, so there is a boy. The, the The free market is very efficient, isn't it? It it, uh, it responds very quickly to change. Um, we simply, oh gosh, I think the the best way to answer that question of how we hire related to core values and, and culture um, is we we trust our leaders who, who are hiring they're fully immersed in in the the culture with uh, with good very tight relationships with, with management uh, and we ask them to hire people that they like and that you they want to they would want to spend the day with because generally that's uh an indication that that person has a higher likelihood of fitting with within our within our system. So so liking someone is key. It doesn't mean we, we, we don't get it always get it right. You know, sometimes we we uh, we bungle and, and someone put up a great front and then we just realize that it wasn't a good fit. That's pretty rare if we spend long enough with them and 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 perhaps don't try to be the one making most of the conversation during the interview process but just sitting back and asking probing questions.
0: Okay. And then um, I, I, I'm assuming you likely had either a promotion or a demotion, or maybe even a termination in your history. I, I, let me ask you: How many team members do you, do you have today for Star PT?
1: Um, we have all in all. Well, we have a. It's hard for me to rec- to break it up. Sorry, we have um, about a hundred employees total. Yeah, but we have a fitness center as well, and so that that has. I guess, about 20 to 30 employees there. So probably it's about 70 for Starol. I've got my HR manager nearby. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, good call.
0: 70 sounds good. So uh, 100 total. Um, Again, you probably have had at least a few promotions along the way, maybe some demotions or uh, transferring musical chairs and then maybe even a termination or two along the way. Can you talk about how... uh, your core values guide that conversation, or how you bring that into play um, when you're you're having those crucial conversations. Yeah.
1: I was advised by someone years ago to make a termination a pastoral moment. So we have a responsibility to to steward our team, right? It's our our, our um, in one of our we have a couple of mission statements. There's an internal and an external mission statement, and our internal mission statement talks about. Our responsibility is to, to help that team member grow and, and discover their strengths, discover their goals and help them move forward toward those goals. So that doesn't stop when we're about to terminate someone. We still have a responsibility to, to take care of them. So it's gotta be transparent. We've gotta talk about why this isn't a good fit and we've gotta make it as much as possible, good for them, right? So if, 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 they, if it's not working in, in the organization then they're not at peace. They're not having a fun day. The relationships aren't great within the company. They they can't be because they are not fitting within the culture. Um, so so we talk about that and we we do our best to try to guide them into a, a solution. If that's not with us, then we can give them some some guidance in that. So that's kind of what we try to do with termination. It's not always possible. Um, sometimes relationships deteriorated before we can get to that point. Uh, so so it's not unfortunate. It's not not always possible, but but uh, that's how we do terminations.
0: Very fair. Uh, one of our uh, partners in the private practice, he terms it: uh, they're seeking success elsewhere, which, and maybe it's uh, immature of me to be laughing, but this partner, he, he literally does that to a T. He will make, you know, make sure that they have everything that they need um, if they're leaving on good terms that they're in a position to succeed, he'll give recommendations, um, a reference if needed. Um, he'll make, uh, yeah, recommendations in terms of, you know, you might want to look here, um, to work with, uh, and we've done that in the past as a company and, and he kind of takes it to the next level. Um, but it can be, uh, a, a win-win for all parties involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, so it, that was the, uh, the termination question around culture. Um, is there, at, so you talked about, uh, every six months or so you, you, I believe you have a, a process where you do a review, you do it with the leadership team and then your, it sounds like your clinical directors, is that what you title them? Um, yeah. th- they're also doing it with, with their teams, with it, within their clinic. Can you walk through, uh, what that looks like, Matt? Um, yeah. like what, it what an example what a sample would be—it's probably, uh, I think you said thirty to ninety minutes or thirty to sixty minutes. Yeah. Like, how's that structured, and what are you trying to accomplish on that? Because I, I really like the idea.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, very impactful for us. It's—it's it's a bit of work for the leaders to do, but it really sets us up for success with relationship. Um, so the this is our staff development system, and it—we first do it with somewhat one usually after ninety days for all the full-time employees. And where it's a document that we, um, we we document their strengths based on the strengths finder that we, we do through Gallup. Um, we document their values, their top five values, which we do. We've sort of derived that from one of John Maxwell's um, little tasks uh, that that he does. We, we sort of internalize that, and and then we walk through. We find out what's motivating them related to work. Uh, We find out what their their goals are, how much fun they're having at work, what's preventing them from having a 10 out of 10 experience as far as fun at work. Um, What are some things, what are the two things that they feel that they should do better, uh, stop doing um, and and do differently? And we ask them the same thing about the organisation. What are two things? So there's a lot of questions like this. We ask them what their dream is, their dream, their, their, either their work-related dream or their non-work-related dream if they don't want to work, if they want to stop working one day. We want to know what their dream is. And we feel like it's our responsibility to help them in all of those things. We want to help them move their fun level at work close to 10. We want to help them to achieve those dreams. We want to help them to reach their goals, all these things. So we're getting a really, really good picture. And, and out of this document, and there are a few more things to it, but out of this document where we're really doing a deep dive on that person, um, we create a six-month development plan, and it's just a list of the few things that we can agree on would be important to achieve over the next six months. Now, some of those things, for example, if I'm doing this with a a clinic director, some of those things are their responsibility, and some of those things are my responsibility to take care of. and, so, and, and usually that, that development plan of, of items for six months might be five or six you know, big chunks. That's about it. So that's, that's the document. And then every month when we meet with that employee, whoever it is, whatever full-time employee it is, every month we review some KPIs you know, that, that they're responsible for and their performance related to that. And that's attached to a bonus as well. But after after talking through those KPIs and their bonus and what can happen to, to improve things, we'll review that development plan and say, okay, let's see what we've worked, what we've achieved, what we haven't achieved. Is there anything we need to add to that? So so every month we're either subtracting or adding, uh, or you know, checking the box or adding things that are important to help that person grow. And there's leadership training involved in there as well, uh, which is a kind of a bit of a different topic. But that's. That's part of it. our leaders are responsible for growing as leaders with all their de- direct reports as well throughout that six-month plan.
0: Awesome. Am I understanding right? You have three companies: you have the PT, you have the fitness, and then the management. Yes. As well, um, and you're the you're the leader in all three. You're the CEO. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so. Good CEO question for you because I, I can remember uh, in the early days of private practice PT um, having my first business card and it said CEO on it. And then I realized that I had one employee um, and I, I wasn't really sure <laughs> who I was the executive of, uh, maybe myself. Um, but, it, you know, many of us on our journey, we, we fall into that um, where we get to be, you know, the, the, the title and rightfully so. We took a, a tremendous risk. Um, hopefully for future reward, and we deserve to be the CEO. In, in your role, Matt, where you have a hundred plus employees uh, a- across three companies, um, how do you picture your role? Because it sounds like you said one component I heard was um, in terms of getting the right people on the bus, right? Um, which I I think is the Jim is a Jim Collins reference. I think so. Um, that. The other thing that I heard you talk about is um, building systems, and the one that you talked about specifically is building systems for uh, people development. You also talked about being a a good steward of uh, your team and essentially their time as well. Um, Is there anything else, any other gaps in there uh, in your role as a CEO for uh, the companies uh, that you have? And if so, what are they? And if you wanna expand on the people, that would be great as well.
1: I see the role of the CEO as, the main role is the one to cast vision, to come up with a vision and, and share that vision in a meaningful way. A vision that people, hopefully written down in a way that people can follow and be excited about following. That's really the most important job of the, of the CEO at the head. Um, that's not all I do, unfortunately. Uh, so so everything else that I do though I should be moving toward as you said before Chad working yourself out of a job yep. right that, that's something that you've shared uh, so I'm trying to work myself out of a job ideally in everything other than sharing the vision coming up with a vision and, you know sharing that and, and teaching it again and again that takes years because you've, you've you know you've got to get to a certain point of growth where you can first of all, Divest yourself, perhaps, of your patient, of your of your treatment responsibilities, and and so on and so on. And so now I'm doing a lot of things with Star Management Company, which I'm loving, by the way. I'm I'm connecting with owners, and it's a blast, and I'm helping, and it's it's just fun to me. It's the most fun I think I've ever had in my life. But ultimately, we have to grow. um have to grow our people to the point where they can they can take over some of those roles. Uh, because my my role really needs to be to look into the future and what's coming down, and 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 getting the company ready for for that, and sharing the vision for that. Uh, so that answers that question about I think my role. Thinking about gaps that we haven't discussed in in what I do, um, I think um, training. You know, I I do a lot of the training. Related to the type of principles that we talk about, you know, leadership and culture, those kind of things. Yeah. Um, training our leaders in that because they're not getting a chance to read the books, or that they're getting. We actually did try it. You had a great um, idea where you have, and you do this where your leaders read a book every. I don't remember if it's every quarter. I think it might be every quarter. I tried that, and uh, that you know when you you have an idea and you run with it and it just it doesn't grab. It doesn't just dig into the ground if for some reason maybe it's the south maybe we don't read as much down here it, it didn't grab and so i i so i realized okay these guys don't want to read books that much maybe so um and I, neither would do i frankly i just read what i what i what i find really important so so i had a role in i have a role in teaching because they're not independently getting that information mm-hmm.
0: very fair that that as an aside is as an initiative you will have to constantly breathe life into. And, uh, I've just found, uh, some clever ways to be really annoying with it, where I will, if, if I read something that's powerful and I think somebody else will benefit, I will just keep talking about it until they finally say, you know what? I, I went and got the book. I read what you're talking about. Um, yeah, that, that has worked well for me, Matt. Um, I, so, uh, Follow-up question from that. Actually, this might be a little bit of a tangent. Um, Oh, where was that from? I'm I'm blanking on who the quote was from, but, oh, Steve Jobs. Uh, Idea, problem, or he's talking about passion. It's a quote that you used, and it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, most of us when we're obviously you're, you're into your work very much. You want to help people um, help patients through your practice um, and also the fitness center uh, in terms of helping people live healthier lives. And then also with your management company, helping owners uh, grow their practices and ultimately serve more people that Steve jobs comment or uh, quote was something wrong uh, along the ideas of there's an idea problem or wrong that you want to write. And, you know, Ultimately, my question for you is, what is it that you're most passionate about um, in, in your work in terms of helping leaders, uh, helping business owners, and also helping patients as well?
1: I think I am very passionate about the um, the benefit of physical therapy, obviously. I'm with you. Our healthcare system is a mess, and um, PTs are best positions are best positioned to change habits and to improve the health of the country. So, so that's a big thing. If, if we're able to do the very best job that we can as a PT company, uh, if we're able to help other PTs do the very, very best job that they can, that's, a, that's huge. I would, I, I'm excited about the impact we're having in that. Um, but I'm also really excited, perhaps more excited about helping leaders in PT achieve their dreams and goals. Because I know the pain of having a dream and a goal, not moving toward it, at least not thinking you're moving toward it and and feeling very, very um, frustrated and disillusioned, and then possibly giving up on that dream or goal because you think it just might be out of reach or, or not worth the effort. I think that's a bit of a, it's a travesty, obviously, if someone has a dream that they're, that they're meant to achieve, they're meant to impact the world in a way, but they, the, the, uh, the difficulties of this world keep them from doing that. That's tough. You, you know, one of your questions, I think, for us in these podcasts is what trends do we see in, in the industry? And one of those is, man, back when I was having these issues of growth, That were really challenging me and gave me many a sleepless night there weren't many options out there back in the uh 2006 through 2009 perhaps when things were toughest for me there weren't options of of really accessible great pt specific help Um, there were a few guys and there were some some sneaky guys too out there but in the in the (laughs) last year (laughs) In the last five years, we've got a bunch of folks like yourself who, there's still some snakey guys, but more good, good people who have integrity, who really are positioned to help and have the ability to help. None of us have the knowledge to help in every area, but there are now experts, you you in marketing and management, um, different experts in, in financial management as well, that we can get the answers. You know, we can get the help that we need. And so I think that's my passion is is, is helping PTs get that point where they can get that support they need to, to maybe not deal with that headache or at least get that headache fixed and they can keep moving forward and achieving their dreams.
0: Uh, though there, there was a point when you were talking about the low point right now that can become a travesty uh, if the resources aren't there. Um, was there a low point for you as a practice owner?
1: Yes, it was. When I was, uh, we'd, we'd opened three clinics and a fitness center. Uh, we built the building. Um, it was just after Katrina. And uh, and so we built this this building that we were kind of, had planned to before Katrina. We just kept, kept going with it. Um, Hurricane Katrina. Sorry for those of you that yeah. don't know who Katrina is. It, it, um, two, 2005? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was the period after that where we had some growth but I was trying to manage too too much I had too many direct reports and only a couple of things were going well that was keeping us afloat um and and it was a tough time financially which which caused everything to be tough um and at, at that point uh, I remember it was yes I was any way out at that point would have been good <laughs> so um so that was a tough those those were the tough days The the cause of those of that tough day uh, was was trying to do too much too quickly by myself. So I would I, I, that's that's a recipe for disaster that I would encourage others not to fall into. Yeah,
0: there is, um, and I, I think many of us have done that. Especially if you if you've ever done multi locations, uh, it's very easy to say, okay, I, I have this one roof operating really really well. Yeah, obviously good, I can just sign a couple of other rent checks and I'll be fine. Right. Um, I, the, the, there was uh, a week or two ago here, there was a, uh, an owner, the physio owner from Edmonton who flew in here and they were looking at expanding. And we talked about the importance of having to level up the systems across the board because the marketing that's adequate for one location is a little bit different when you add two, three or four locations. Um and you have to level up that system. The personnel system where you're managing for ten other team members directly, dramatically changes when you that second clinic is 20 minutes away. Yes. Um, the communication system has to change. The you know you have to level up your billing system so you have tighter financial controls um, as well. And that that is a tough lesson to learn. Um, for you, Matt, if my math is right, you would have had three young children. Yeah. probably all, uh, kindergarten to grade school age at the time.
1: Yes.
0: Um, and, uh, anything that you want to share there in terms of, uh, you, you talked about any way out would have been a good way out. Um, what any, um, was there like a, a turning point for you where you kind of hit rock bottom and you said, okay, I'm going to resolve to learn how to do this and manage this the right way. And we're going to work our way out. Or how did you mitigate that?
1: Um, Yes, I think a turning point was um, I got some help with marketing because I had been doing all the marketing myself, the every lunch, driving around, dropping off things, shaking hands, doing lunches, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that suddenly became not enough, and, and I wasn't enough to do that in all the areas. So um, I saw, incorrectly I think, I saw our challenges as not having enough patience, I, I don't think that was really it, uh, or that was part of it. So, so I sought some marketing help, and 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 got some help that at the time was good enough for us to hire a marketing person and and, and get them trained up and have a good little system that worked well at the time. So, I think that was a turning point that made me um, that gave me some breathing room, and that made me gave me a good example of okay, these, this is how systems can work. Um, they weren't very sophisticated in that initial marketing system, but it was something. And so that that then set me on the path of putting together other systems, essentially having goals in every area, measuring, having a plan and a system in place and checking up on that system.
0: Very good. Um, leader. You referenced uh, leadership, five levels, uh, John Maxwell, um, where essentially leaders become, you can, over time you're elevating yourself to be like a grandfather, great grandfather of other leaders, right? So that's leaders leading leaders, leading leaders um, type deal. Um, can you talk about how, uh, how you think about that? How, when you're working with a team member and you recognize that they really have room for ascension where they're, they're just not saying, hey, I want, Matt, I want more responsibility. they're actually demonstrating that and how you decide if somebody um, is qualified or has the the potential competency to become a good leader
1: okay well i think we all can become good leaders Um, i think that's within us uh john maxwell is what he did wonderfully with his five levels of leadership was take the concept the, the abstract concept concept of leadership and, and make it very clear and, and defined in these five level, levels. And you go from this level to this level to this level by through these behaviors and these relationship characteristics. Um, so it's, it's, we have uh, tweaked John Maxwell's approach to one that we think is appropriate for physical therapy perhaps, and is a little bit um, help, more helpful for physical therapy. Um, we've created very um, creatively six phases of leadership, as opposed to five levels. Um, but we and we've created these sub these sub phases, these sub, sub stages of leadership within these six levels. Um, so when we look at someone, we're, we're able uh, someone's performance as a leader or non leader. We're able to uh, work out exactly where they fit in this, let's see, it's, 60, it's probably about 30 to 40 different uh, little lineations of leadership. Where do they fit in this leadership ladder? Um, what what relationship characteristics and behaviours are they exhibiting that, that indicate they're at, at this level for the, for example? Uh, and then we identify, as I said, we assume that everyone can be a leader. That doesn't Prevent any, you know, lack of leadership ability doesn't prevent someone from moving up in our organisation because we feel it's our responsibility to train them to become a leader. I think it was, um, I can't remember the, the 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 leadership guru that died. About, I think in two thousand and fourteen, he was um, one of the first. Le- Bennis, Warren Bennis, I think his name was. Oh yeah, Herding Cats. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was his book. Yep. I think he said that the greatest travesty of leadership is the misconception that um, where leaders are born and not made, yep. um, and, and, and so I think that that's that's crucial. So so we just yeah we feel like we can train anyone who cares about people to to grow as a leader, um, and and we feel it's our responsibility to do that by moving them up these levels. And it's not it's not a difficult process, but it does require transparency and it does require the um, it to be obvious that we care. Mm-hmm. Great. Did that answered your question. I feel like I may have got off, gotten off on a, a sidetrack there. Jeff. No,
0: you. It, well, the one thing that you mentioned really quick was, uh, I think you said four B. Yeah. Were you referencing a level?
1: Yes. Sorry. What, yes.
0: So what? What's uh, within that context? What? What would four B? If I'm at four B, what does that mean?
1: Okay. I. I don't have the. It doesn't have to be exact. But. Yeah. So. So. A stage four leader. Us is generally someone whose direct reports are excelling, or, or they're 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 doing well, they're they're hitting all their targets. So we view someone's leadership level based on how well that what their direct report is doing. So okay. I'm only as I'm a different level of leader with this clinic director compared to this clinic director, right? Because it's it's how well I'm responsible for how well they're performing. So so four level stage four indicates that they're performing, they're, they're hitting uh, goals, they're going above and beyond occasionally. Um, and so 4B um, may be, it might be something like um, within two months, that individual could be trained up to take over all of my responsibilities related that, that are related to him. So that's, that might be four, That's an example of 4B. Okay
0: um is the letter uh indicative of like uh the transitional leadership or situational leadership where like uh, for a 4a would be um like you could delegate to is that kind of the idea there i'm just trying to get a sense of what the phases are
1: yeah okay well the, the general phases so so phase stage one is is someone who is not over is not in a, a formal position of leadership um but they are capable of leading others, you know, within their department. For example, so you might have a technician, who's, you know, and and, and maybe there's a lead technician. There are six different technicians, uh, you know, support staff aides working together. But but someone is really, um, encouraging the others and sort of, you know, staying behind to get things done and being a good role model. Well, that person would fall into a, into one. Okay. Uh, if I'm their leader, sorry, if I'm their leader, then I'm at, uh, you know, that's a one. That the next thing is, is is stage two, and so as, when you're a stage two leader over someone, that that means that uh, you people are under you and they're just following you because you're the boss. Okay, mm-hmm. stage three, stage stage three, now they're following you because they like you because you've invested in them. There's a caring, there's a connection. Stage four is they're producing, and and so on through stage six. Stage stage. Six is very rare for someone to get to. That's kind of that um, matriarch position where you've got uh, you know, probably two levels of leadership beneath you of, of people who are leading, um, and that's rare for folks to get to. That's an idea of how the stages go in our world. Um, and then,
0: okay, so I know um, you gave us a, a survey link. I'll make sure that's available here uh, in the show notes. Um, and can you talk... a a little bit about um, what that is. Um, By the way, I I started to go through it. So if you see an incomplete one, you can harass me. Why did Did you stop? (laughs) One time. uh, (laughs) I had a a personnel issue myself to deal with. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, if if you can shed some light, Matt, uh, what that survey is and how that can help an owner, that'd be great.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, The idea that a lot of owners they they would like to sell, that they feel like, okay, this, the, the, well, I need to sell or I need to get out or something, um, or I need some help, I, I don't know what I'm doing. This survey kind of helps someone determine or helps us determine because it's not, it doesn't give you all the answers. We're gonna have to, to give a, a report to, to the, the person that takes the survey to let them know where they're at. But um, it provides information about what they're doing well, you know what, what where where they're doing pretty well, where they could do with some help, so that they can be thinking about um, if they get some guidance in some of these areas that they're weak, their their life could be much more fun. So we're we're asking some questions that we feel shed light on whether a different area of their practice is is doing well enough and. and and whether or not they need some some guidance for example um i think we, we have some questions in there about outside marketing you know uh, um, do they have marketing staff you know how much time does that marketing do the marketing staff um put toward outside marketing um you know what kind of does their system include these points you know that kind of thing would help us to know if oh gee boy if you just had a little system for that outside marketing Piece that would really take a lot of pressure off you. Other examples might be billing. Are you getting this information from your billing entity, whether it's in-house or out-house? These are the some things you wanna make sure you're getting. Um, if you're not, you probably want to ask for these items, that, that kind of thing. Okay. Sure. so um,
0: it, essentially it's a vital check for their practice. Good, that's a
1: good way of putting it, yeah.
0: Yeah, great, um, cool. So we'll, yeah, we'll make sure that's uh, available for everybody. And you, I, the way that we got to this interview is you wrote an article, I believe it was an impact, and you were talking specifically about owners that are exiting. So in, in terms of trends, that is something that has, since the pandemic um, had occurred, and the, it's it called uh, the rebound from that. Um, probably two to three owners a week are messaging either via Facebook or texting me or emailing, Hey, I'm thinking about selling. Can you point me in the right direction? Um, so I believe and talking with some on- other industry leaders that, that the merger and acquisition pressure um, will continue to increase um, just because, you know, owners are, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Let somebody else handle the centralized uh, functions and just let me be a PT. Mm-hmm. Um, In your article, you go through the different options, and obviously we can do, and I'm paraphrasing, so I apologize in advance, we can do an external sale, which most of us think about when we, you know, if we're going to sell in two to five years and start getting ready now, it's going to be an external sale, Um, we can do an internal sale, which would be a transition of equity um, over to an existing clinical director or physical therapist or or team, uh, key individuals that are uh, internal, um, or you bring up the third option, which would be uh, a management team. Can you talk through um, just how to think about it and, and how you could help an owner uh, think through that uh, if, they're, if they're listening to this and they're at that point right now?
1: Okay. Yep. We, sorry, was there? Were you about to say something else?
0: Oh, no, I'm good. I just, I just I'm, I'm old and I had to move my back around. Because I've been standing for a while.
1: <laughs> well, I got a, a hematoma somewhere from your your most recent exploits on the mat, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we we all get these these frequent uh, requests that we sell our practice to somebody. And I, th- you know, you have shared that you know with, with marketing, you need to see. It used to be six times that you needed to see something before you made the purchase decision. I think it's twelve now or something. I think you've shared. But I think it's I think it's up to twenty nine. Wow,
0: it's it's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Golly, I didn't know it was that high. Oh my goodness, I wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, but because of that, and we've seen these emails that come through, apparently, once we've seen the 29th email, we think, oh, gosh, if I'm hearing so often that people want to buy my clinic, maybe it's time. I should probably just buy it. So, I think just that volume and that frequency of the idea being put upon us, the power of suggestion gets us to the point where we think, When on that bad day when things aren't going right um but oh maybe it's time to sell Um, and and i propose that for some people there's a better way to get out of the the misery now uh, and obviously and as i read in my article there are folks for which this is the right decision you know right now and it's time to get ready you know i would say that they want to work on their practice to make sure that they're, they're getting the best price they can get for the practice but but it's right for some people, particularly if they're at a point where they really just, you know, would like to be gone all the time and, 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 and grandkids are really important to them and those things. Maybe it's, it, it's time. But for a lot of us, we can get rid of a lot of the things we don't like in our work life without getting rid of the things that we love. Um, that One way is to perhaps achieve that by sale. But if we can also do it by bringing in people that are really great at those things that we don't like, and by doing that, we get to keep the tremendous value of owning a business. The tax benefits of that are tremendous. Um, the 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 great emotional uh, and spiritual benefit of owning a business and suiting that, and being impactful in our environment, and the relationships we have with our team. You know, I know when we when we look at our days, our good days, the best things about our good days are usually the relationships we've, we've we've enjoyed with our team. So. We don't necessarily need to lose those through a sale in order to get rid of the headaches. And these days, as I mentioned earlier, more than ever, we've got really good specialists in different areas um, of, of, uh, of the PT business. You know, Chad, uh, you know, you, you guys with, with your, uh, your product X, I think it's changed name, but to, um, what, what's the name now? It's Growth X. Growth X, sorry.
0: Uh, uh, no, no, it, it it was Product X. Um, it, it's gone through some name changes for sure, but yes, Growth X. Yep.
1: Yep. Every, every, everything changes with with as as life changes. So, um, you yeah, know, you guys are fantastic at that. That's a huge thing for an individual to clinic to have is is that help with marketing. But whether it's online marketing, uh, direct outside marketing, billing and collections staff management front desk processes all of these things can not only be taught by specialists but also managed by specialists these days so we really are at that point where you you don't have to hang on to these headaches you can give these away either through to to a management company or to delegate to someone in your organization but with the right training so um that's kind of the the point i really wanted to make there is that and I, i likened it to Someone saying, listen, I'm, I'm getting tired of mowing the lawn. I'm going to sell my house and go and live in an apartment so I don't have to mow the lawn anymore. You know, that, that's what people are doing if they're trying to get out of the the PT gig, ownership gig, because it's a bit cumbersome sometimes.
0: Yeah, great analogy. Um, I appreciate that. The So, internal sale, external sale, the management model, and just uh, because curiosity killed the cat, uh, the management model typically is a percentage of revenue
1: for oh, it, it, it various it services. Okay, yeah, it, it could be a flat fee. Um, so yeah, so billing and collections percentage of revenue. But but um, you can have different companies doing different parts of your of your management. Obviously, um, different parts of your business. So you can have you, know, you guys doing the online marketing. You can have someone else doing the billing and collections. As a lot of people do, um, someone else. Um, overseeing your front desk. And that would probably be more like a, a flat fee to oversee the front desk operations and make sure that authorizations are being done correctly and, and conversions are happening at a good rate and all these kind of things. All the way through to managing the PTs and helping you know helping them grow as leaders and all those kind of things. So um, you, you don't have to have one company doing all of these things. They can be done by different groups and and usually often if it's if it's not directly financial related like billing and collections, there's probably a monthly fee for it. Some people are concerned about the monthly fee of being locked into something like that. And and we share that, number one, you often don't need to be locked in to monthly fees. It could be something that, hey, that that time where you, you, you just feel like, oh, I can bring this back in-house, you, you should be able to do that usually. Um, but also, the, the, the chances are that if you're paying someone to do it for you, their experts, the, the ROI of that, of them doing a fantastic job with, with that area is gonna be far greater than, than the expense that you're incurring. Yeah, I,
0: I agree that usually when you bring the right person in, the next question or the next thought is, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, excellent, so final question uh, for you, Matt, in, in looking forward to the future, uh, I'm guessing your clinics are rebounding very well. You're near 100% or maybe even uh, beyond that. What, what are you looking uh, – what's the future like in terms of planning for uh, the PT practices, fitness, or star management? Uh,
1: for PT, we have a philosophy of slow growth. Um, we, we, want to, we opened our last clinic uh, uh, in the year before COVID, Uh, mid 2019. So uh, we're just waiting for that to, that it's doing, it's coming along now. It took about a year before it started to move upwards. Once that's uh, to where we like it to be, to making a profit comfortably consistently, we will open the next clinic we plan to. But we're not in a rush. Uh, You know, as an owner, you get to a point where there is less urgency for growth. and that's probably due to lifestyle factors, financial factors. You know, when you, when you don't um, have to, when there's not um, the, mo- the financial motivation to, to grow because you're trying to hit a financial goal, then, then the urgency goes away. So we're looking at about one clinic every year or two. Um, but, but if we stop at 10, that'll be fine too. We, we, we may never go above that. We're, it's, a good, it's a good number. It's a manageable number. Um, fitness centre, we did take a hit. Boy, fitness centres have been have been dealt a tough blow with COVID, um, and and not a lot of great government support. You know, we a lot of PT clinics have done okay with PPP, one and two, but fitness doesn't have a usually doesn't have a high full time um, employee population, so didn't do quite as it wasn't quite as generous with fitness centres. Um, but yeah, so we're looking, we're seeing now that the senior population is coming back to fitness centres down, down where we're at. So just looking to, the, the fitness centre is um, for us um, and for a lot of PTs, it's just a wonderful way to uh, brand your, your PT clinic, um, to, to increase exposure in the community and to drive new patients to your PT clinic. So uh, we look for our fitness centre to direct about 18 to 20 new patients a month to, to that clinic that, that it's that it's part of so that's our goal is just to get that back to that 18 to 20 as as people start coming back in um, star management um that goal is just to keep on helping people there's uh you know we just uh, it's that is also a slow growth model for us you know we uh we we, we don't uh we're not, we don't bombard uh people with unnecessary marketing but apparently if 29 is the number I need to start.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, yeah, there's, we, we can talk more about data on that. Um, Matt, this was fantastic. um, And I I really appreciate you sharing your time and also your wisdom and experience as well. What's the best way for our listeners or viewers uh, to get in touch with you um, if they want to learn more about what you do and what you're up to?
1: great um email matt m-a-t-t at star s-t-a-r dash m-g-m-t dot com
0: that's dash like the minus sign
1: yep yeah got the, it yep
0: M-G-M-T. so M-G-M-T. Com. matt at star dash m-g-m-t dot com that's right that's great so uh and just a personal question what's the uh What's the last place you, you went surfing?
1: The last place I went surfing was, um, West Palm beach, um, back in, uh, I guess it was February, yeah, February I think. Um, and it was not cold. I thought it was going to be chilly, but it was, it was great. I took my son, my 22 year old son down there. And, uh, we had a lovely few days of just catching small waves and, uh, hanging out and, uh, enjoying enjoying some t- some quiet time together that's great
0: good Chair Matt well again uh, thank you so much for doing this I appreciate everything that you're doing in private practice PT
1: thanks Chad anything we can do to help you guys because we once again we love what you guys are doing and uh, it's been a huge service to us
0: thanks Matt.